morning. I have a picture to show you this morning. Two years ago, when we moved to Mankato, the kids really wanted an apple tree. So we planted one, and we had kind of a bumper crop. The, the branches were bending, and we had a ton of apples. And this year, this is what it looks like. Can you even really see that? I told Brian, it's so pathetic, I can barely get a picture of it. This is what it looks like this year. There's a branch that hardly even has any leaves on it that goes to the right. When you look at this, do you feel kind of sad? Sad for my apple tree. <laughs> sad for the family that lives in this house with this apple tree. <laughs> and on some level, it reminds me of the Christmas tree that Charlie Brown has. It's this pathetic little Christmas tree with one little red Christmas ornament. Yes. Why do we feel sad <laughs> when we look at this sad little tree? I think it's because apple trees are supposed to be full, healthy, lots of green leaves, and dotted everywhere with red, red apples, right? Instead, this is literally what I see every day when I drive into my driveway. Colossians is where we were for the month of June and July. It was the heart of our summer series, and this month and last week, we started a series based on Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7, and it says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So we've sort of taken this, uh, two, these two verses out of Colossians and created a series for us to think about how we have hope for more. And if you can see this picture you might understand why I chose to send to uh, share this with you today. When I think about a hope, like hope for more, this, I don't know, just nails it for me. I hope for more for this tree in future years. Last week, we talked about the first part of Colossians 2, 6 through 7, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. If you are online today or if you are in this room and you would say, you know, I don't really know what that means, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, I just want to stop right here and say, if that is not true for you, we want to help you make that step. So if you're online, feel free to send a chat to someone here. Uh, someone online will meet you. Or if you're in the room, we really want to connect you with Jesus for the first time. The second part of this, it says, continue to live your lives in him. Now, anyone in here have more than one life to live? Wasn't there even a soap opera, One Life to Live? We only have one. So when Paul is writing this to the Colossians, he's not writing it to just individuals. I think sometimes for us to connect with scripture, people in my past said, hey, when you're reading something, put your name in there because then you know that God is speaking to you. Now that's neat and sometimes helpful, but in this case, it would become very individualistic and not really what Colossians or Paul intended. So if we are to live our lives in him, that means that Paul, the author of this letter, was talking to a community. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we studied John 4, the woman at the well. For some of you, it might be a familiar passage. If you're not familiar, the beauty of online is you can just go back to last week's message on the internet and find it. Uh, or grab your Bibles and just read the whole book, uh, the whole chapter. Read the whole book. Read the whole book of the Bible, yes. Read the whole chapter of John 4. Uh, we are going to hit some highlights of the first section that we talked about last week, and then we're going to continue the story today. So John 4, starting at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? 
And in parentheses, the author tells us that Jesus was alone because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So the story, as we discussed last week, is this woman comes to a well, what they had to do every day, get daily water because they didn't have plumbing. She comes to the well expecting to be alone and finds Jesus. It's noon, we find out in the passage later on. It's the hottest time of the day. This is uh, the Middle East, and I'm pretty sure no matter what season it is, it's hot there in the middle of the day. And so the woman, commentators and other people smarter than I am, tell us, for a woman to come alone to a well in the middle of the day likely means she did that on purpose, to avoid the social uh, stigmas that she carried everywhere she went. So she wanted to go alone when she wouldn't find anyone else there. Women came to the well every day at the beginning of the day before they got into their household chores and the business of it. And I imagine it's sort of like a coffee shop where you interact with people, you get maybe the news of the day, you kind of touch base, and then you have to go do your work. So for a woman to avoid that says something about what her daily life is like. The woman likely missed that morning chat on purpose. Going on in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And again, we get these parentheses. The author puts this in there for us in case we don't know it. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So not only is this woman isolated because of her lifestyle that has made her a social outcast, she also puts up another wall with Jesus saying, hey, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to associate. I've been taught, everybody knows, culture dictates, we don't hang out. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Last week, we talked how when we hope for more, it's because we're stuck. We need a reset. We're, we're stuck in a hole and we just can't get ourselves out. This woman, we can see throughout the chapter, is stuck in a lot of ways. She's stuck in this gender-specific, separated culture where men and women didn't hang out. With race or religious separation where Jews and Samaritans did not hang out. It was based on the fact that ethnically, they had kind of a divided family tree. And when the Samaritans went out here, the Jews said, see you later. But also religiously, and as we read through chapter 4, the woman keeps bringing up points, saying, hey, here's another barrier, here's another barrier, here's another barrier. And Jesus just goes toe-to-toe with her, having this intense one-on-one, essentially a Q&A with this outcast, with this woman. Eventually, the woman pushes back at Jesus. And she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, verse 26, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. There are very few times in the New Testament that Jesus straight up says, hey, you know that Messiah you've been waiting for, the, the Jews have been talking about that the Old Testament all points to? I'm right here. Over here, I am who you have been waiting for. It just does not happen. And yet Jesus chooses this woman, this social outcast. We find out through John 4, we're not real sure what her relationship past is, but likely she doesn't win any awards for her relational purity, let's say. 
Jesus chooses her to say, I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. Jesus meets this woman. This woman who expected to be alone at a well in the hottest part of the day. She expected to be alone, and she meets Jesus. And then it says in verse 27, just then his disciples, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. They too are stuck in these like gender exclusion, men and women, we do this, okay? The disciples were surprised to find him talking to a woman, but nobody asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Unlike the woman who constantly asked Jesus questions. Verse 28, the woman. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him, toward Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Um, this is just so funny to me when I read this, and I think of this happening in actual time. Do you just think Jesus is like, you're worried about lunch right now? Can we get unstuck from thinking about the physical world, right? You're worried that I'm talking to a woman. You're worried about I'm eating food. And do you know what's happening? I've just revealed myself to this woman as the Messiah of the world. The disciples are stuck. The disciples are stuck in the tangible, in the physical, uh, frankly, thinking about food. Now, I don't blame them for that because likely it was lunchtime or perhaps past lunchtime. But these disciples are stuck. The woman, however, is getting unstuck. She has found the reset button, and that reset button is Jesus. So much so that it says in the passage, she leaves her water pot behind. Why does the author tell us that? Well, the first half of the story, Jesus says this amazing thing, which says, if you know who I am, I'm going to give you water. You don't have any idea. It's way better than this well. And she's like, how can it be better? I mean, I like water, and this water, this well's been here a long time. How can what you give me, how could it be better than this? And somehow we see that perhaps she's drinking what Jesus is offering. And then we see her eating what he also experiences. That water pot was left behind. The whole reason she had come to the well that day where she had come to be alone, remember, likely. She leaves that behind. And then what does she do? She goes back to the town. The woman who's been avoiding social interactions goes back to the town, and what does she do? She tells people, I just met someone who told me everything I ever did. Now, I've heard a lot of messages say something like this. Honey, everybody knows what you've done. <laughs> Why does that make him really that important? Earlier in the passage, we find out she's been married five times, and she's with a guy now that's not her husband. We don't know what that means. It could be a euphemism, she's had five husbands. Or she has been married five times, and the guys just keep dying, which is really sad and tragic. Talk about feeling alone and abandoned. Or she's been married five times, and back then in ancient culture, women didn't have a lot of freedom, a lot of power. 
men could get divorced if he didn't like what you cooked for dinner. So it's possible she's tried to get married over and over and over again and the men keep divorcing her. We don't know. Regardless, again, her relational life is a mess. And everyone likely knows about it. And yet she goes back to that town and tells them about Jesus. She goes back to people who likely have insulted her, who have cast her out, who make her feel like she has to go to the well at the hottest part of the day. And she goes and says, I think I've met the Messiah. Come see. And when it says that, I said this last week, I've studied this passage a lot, and I'm always amazed how you go back to a passage you think you kind of know, and then God shows you something else. When she says, come see, that's not like, hey, if you have a minute, come over here, I have something to show you. It's like, let's go. It's the same words that Jesus uses when he says, come follow me. See right now what he has done. Check out Jesus. Urgently, I'm telling you, it's an imperative. Come and see. It also struck me as I'm thinking about this woman, she's had six relationships, right? Somehow she's found six men who have found it, her appealing, attractive, interesting enough to spend time with her. And I thought to myself, maybe she actually has some really good people skills. Or she's actually interesting enough to be with that she's had six relationships. I don't think I've dated I've only been married once, just for the record. But I don't think I even dated five other people. I have some decent relationship skills, not like this woman. And I see her using them for good. Somehow she went to these people who did not respect her. And she gets them to listen to her. And they come. They come see for themselves. It's just amazing to me how this woman is being used. And do you remember how Jesus says to the disciples, I have food you don't know anything about. I think the woman knows something about that food. It says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Again, amazing. She said, he told me everything I ever did. So verse 40, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Again, this woman is an outcast. Somehow this town listens to her, comes out, hangs out with Jesus, not just for a few minutes, but for days. This woman who came to that location to be alone, is no longer alone. Somehow with Jesus at the center of this conversation, they hung out for days. And she is no longer alone. I think that she had hope for a reset. She says, I know Messiah is coming. She had hope for more. And she finds it with Jesus at the center. The other thing that I think is interesting is it's not just Jesus, the woman, and the townspeople. Do you remember? The disciples are there as well. And what did we learn in the parentheses earlier in the passage? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, isn't that just like Jesus? To flip that script. Who was hanging out for days? 
asking each other likely for water, eating together, associating together, Jews and Samaritans. But how were they able to do that? Jesus was at the center of that community. I just love how Jesus redefines reality for this woman, for the disciples, and for the townspeople all at once. He uses the images of a well and water, of food, but then he uses this woman who most would say is just property, or even worse than property, used goods, he uses her to create this amazing opportunity for community. Jesus points us to community. Now, when we knew that this week was going to be about building community and trying to encourage people towards community, I ran across this article, and I hope that you find it interesting as well. The title caught my attention, so I had to read it. The title was, I hired a friendship coach to help me make friends. Here's what happened. Okay, there are a lot of jobs these days. The TikTok world, I don't get it. How can you be a social influencer? And now there are friendship coaches. So for those of you in college who don't know what you want to do with your life, friendship coaches. The article tells us that when we enter our mid-20s, our priorities shift, and in general, it's harder to build community. Now, as I'm looking out in the crowd, and I don't know who's online, but uh, there are not a lot of us that are under 22, but those of us who are under 22, I want you to know that you are great at building friends. Callista has this wonderful circle of people that she hangs out with at school, and they go to each other's sporting events. I did ask her permission to tell this. They know, oh, somebody has a swim meet, somebody has a softball meet, soccer's at this time, we want to see your ballet performances, uh, what else? Tennis. She got invited to, and hockey, yes, there, there's too many. She went to a girls' tennis match with some of her friends on Tuesday, and her mom texted us afterwards and said, this 13-year-old, this eighth grader, she just got her first varsity win this week. It probably was because of the cheering section. Isn't that great? I know. I got an open mouth in the back. It's so fun. It's so fun. And you sometimes need to remind us adults, when you make your time with your friends, we need to take that as a model for us. We don't make time for our friends the ways that college students, the ways that younger people do. So thank you for being a model for us. Those of us who are over 22, <coughs> I'm a little bit over that. We have to work perhaps a little bit harder to connect with others. And I wanted to share with you, so you can save your money, I'm going to give you three pointers that this friendship coach had for this individual, okay? These are super practical, and so sometimes I think when we look at John 4 and we're really, like, inspired with her, sometimes we just go, I don't know, where do I start? I'm not meeting Jesus at any, like, coffee shop anytime soon. So I hope that these might be some really practical, when we think about Jesus offering us community, where do we start? Number one, the friendship coach says, your friend's friends. Who do you know? And who do they know? I guarantee you that when the woman went back to the village, she went to some people that she knew. But I have a feeling that more and more people found out because they told their friends. It said many more came to believe over the course of the time. Who are you connected with already? And how might God use you to help connect people who are connected to the people that you're connected to? Does that make sense? 
What are the natural connections that you have? And watch for the domino effect. Mankato is a small enough community, I'm always amazed at the people that I know, know people that I know. You know, you find those like, what is the thing, seven steps away from Kevin Bacon? It's kind of true, I think, in Mankato. You can Google Kevin Bacon, those of you who are under 22 later. Tip number two from the friendship coach. Anyone want to guess what it is? Put down your phone. When you're at a sporting event, when you're at the store, when you're at church, unless you're taking notes and looking up the passage or signing up to give online, put down your phone. There's a story in this article that said someone who lived in New York City started not standing in line playing on the phone and had three conversations the first day. Just, you know, pleasant interactions with people around. And the friendship coach says, you know, when we're doing this, what do we miss? Everything that's going on around us. When you're at the playground, wherever you are, how easy it is for some of us to just pull out our phone and start engaging. What if we didn't do that? Now, I wanted to say a note here. I'm not an introvert. Big surprise. I don't feel the need when I'm out among people to kind of retreat. And I know some of you are introverts, and you're just not going to naturally always connect with everyone around you. That's not what I'm indicating. What I am saying is, are there certain times in our lives where we do know we need to push ourselves a little bit and look up? Okay, number three, find a group and try it three times. I mean, this is why the friendship coach gets paid, okay? Find a group, try it three times. Some of you, I know, are church shopping. It's the fall. We're trying to figure out where we're going to land. When you go visit a church, I think the French co friendship coach would say try it three times. I would also say if you've never been in a small group, try one, but give it three times, okay? Tries. If you're not plugged in already. Now, when I was thinking about this friendship coach article and the woman at the well in John 4, I couldn't help but be reminded of what Brian said last week when he tried to cast vision of what we're doing here at Rosa Parks. Sometimes people ask us with the pandemic, with who knows what's going to happen next, what are we doing? You know, what's our vision here? We're here to connect people to Jesus. And just like many churches in Mankato, we really do want to reach Mankato. And in fact, Brian and I moved here from Duluth, not just really to think about Mankato, but to consider all of southern Minnesota. For some of you, that excites you. For others of you, you're like, whoa, I'm not even sure if this is a church where I'm going to be attending on a regular basis. But to break that down, he said, really what we want to do is connect your friends to Jesus. We want to use the natural connections that we have. We want to connect with campus that's right across the way. We want to reach Rosa Parks. We want to meet your friends and the parents of your friends. The woman went back to the town and said, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I think sometimes when we think about community, we only think about believers. Oh, I just love being with people that believe the same as I do. I don't have to worry about stepping in it. There are so many things you can just assume and kind of relax. It's just so good to be together, and all of that is true. But I also think that it is a failure of Christian community if we settle for that. There are always people who could be among us that aren't yet among us. And we see what this woman did. She went and told people what Jesus had done for her. And I have to tell you, if I ever feel inadequate, not smart enough, 
not cool enough, uh, disconnected, I can just look at this woman and be like, man, I do not have any excuses compared to her. She really stepped out of herself. And I think because she had tasted that living water, she was able to be a messenger. And the people come out and say, now I know that he is the savior of the world. Somehow these Samaritans who feel very isolated religiously and racially, they were able to hang out with these disciples, with a Jewish Messiah, and say, this is the savior of the world. They could have said, he's my savior, he's the Samaritan savior, but they said he's the savior of the world because they were looking at Jews and Samaritans coming together with Jesus at the center. That makes me excited. I don't know if you've been following the news lately uh, or watching a movie lately, but I feel like every storyline is this versus this. There's, it just always seems to be a dichotomy. Uh, Ethiopia right now, Afghanistan, the Taliban, and I mean, it's the Taliban against everybody, I think, right now. I just watched a Disney movie, and it was like this group versus this group. And my mom and I were talking yesterday, and she just said, I just wish we could all get along. Isn't that just the cry of our heart? That's because we are created to get along with Jesus at the center. When you cry out for something and have that sense that the world is not the way it should be, that's probably because you know how it should be. God created us to connect. So practically speaking, do you need to put your phone down more? Do you need to try a group? Do you need to think about your friends' friends? How are you plugging in here? Brian's given us a lot of opportunities with the announcements today about how to connect. You can come up, Brian. What is one step you could take this fall to go deeper with community? What would it look like for us to have Jesus at the center of this community at Rosa Parks so that as we read Colossians, we would say, this is true of us. Just as we have received Jesus Christ as Lord, we are continuing to live our lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in our faith as we are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen.